and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Caligaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are very fortunate to have on our show Mark Miller and Ted Vaughn. They are co-founders of Historic Agency and co-authors of the Amazon bestseller, Culture Built My Brand. And I'm particularly excited because they kind of sit at the intersection of some of my very, very favorite things, uh, brand, product, strategy, and culture. So I'm excited about today's conversation. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. So excited to get to share with your audience um, stuff. Stuff. Everybody loves good stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. All right. So let's just for a little bit of context for our audience, Mark and Ted, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your agency and sort of like, what is it that's got you guys so passionate about what you do? I'll start. It's been about 28 years working in largely nonprofit contexts, uh, kind of in executive leadership roles where we were overseeing everything from creative to brand to um, organizational culture. And those were often done in very disconnected, siloed ways. And over the years of working in these different places, I started connecting dots. And website was a culture conversation and naming and creative. All these things kind of fused together. And that's what led to going out on my own and doing consulting work more in strategy and culture uh, but there was all there are always these lingering questions around design and web and how those things connect the dots and that's what connected me to mark and then together we started historic about eight years ago now um so mark yeah i've uh similar background although i've spent some time in the technology sector uh and doing uh product naming and service naming and and b2b space trying to develop products in the B2B space. That's very interesting. Um, not as sexy as some of the consumer stuff, but, uh, and found myself kind of like Ted where re, you know, almost a hundred rebrands into my career, uh, whether it's product or organizations realizing there's this, these culture is so much a part of those conversations, but they, we weren't, I was never allowed to speak into that and they would either make or break, um, some of the products, right. You design a product, uh, but the culture wasn't strong enough to support it, even though the customer demand was really high and it would eventually start tearing itself apart. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of where I met Ted. And I was like, oh, these things should go together. That would be awesome. Um, uh, and so we started uh, Historic and I think um, we've adopted the Google Venture Sprint, you know, design sprint model and design thinking uh, and apply that to all kinds of fun product and strategy and brand and but we've baked into that as part of design thinking is really culture because we always think about the consumer who has to use the product but if the organization can't sustain the product and maintain it then that's a whole nother level right so it's kind of both sides and too often we find organizational culture is something that you address when you have triage and all sorts of problems. And brand is something that never really touches culture. It feels like you're almost swerving outside of your lane if you're an agency addressing organizational culture. And yet, like Mark said, 90% of the time, the barriers involved or were exclusive to culture. So we're trying to connect the dots. There's a lot of great organizational culture, and there's a lot of great brand. There are very few places where you actually talk about how culture 
can drive brand success and brand should absolutely shape organizational culture parameters and systems and structure. It's it's a it's such a good conversation. It's something I a hundred percent agree in, right? I think so many people think of brand as it is the, you know, it's owned by marketing, it is the preview of marketing, it is how it, you know, it's the colors we choose, it's the typefaces we do. But when you think of brand and you think of brand experience, that's every touch point, right? That's that's the invoice they received, that's the call into sales, like all of those reflect the brand. So if they are not separate or if they are separate, if they're not the same, if they're not aligned, you not, there's not enough foundation to hold up a brand. Uh, and I think it's it's right. it's so critical. And, and yet I think so many companies uh, miss that piece. At minimum, it's opportunity cost. Like, you know, you might not be feeling the triage of our culture not really helping drive success with our brand, but then I would argue then you're not experiencing the fruit and the benefit and the sales and the retention that comes with a culture that our ambassadors and that drive success with your brand, right? And the brands that are really standout brands, they have a marquee culture where the people scream the brand as loudly as their marketing efforts do, which ironically allows you to pay less money in marketing because you have advocacy and brand alignment from the inside out. All right. So, well, clearly this is super easy, right? And they just, you know, snap your fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah just buy the yeah, book. Like, all right, great. And a week oh, later, okay. it's done. It really is it's like a miracle pill that you just add water. I mean, that's how brand and culture changes always work. It's kind of an overnight yeah. thing. Totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. Especially when you merge two companies together. Which is why it never works, because it's not, actually. It's no. actually much harder. Yeah. So I know one of the things that you guys really have kind of developed is is a process for this, and right? And how do we approach that? So I would love kind of... Uh, you know, we don't have 10 hours because I'm sure there's much, much to this, but if we can talk high level at kind of what is the process and your approach for branding, I, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so uh, when we talk about the culture side, um, well, I guess, Ted, you want to talk about the five pillars? First? Well, I think at the heart of our, pro our brand process, which really I think is the framework for everything, we believe brands uh, are made of five pillars. And you th those pillars are uh, all of equal um, stature, but one of them is the tide that rises all of them, and that is culture, right? So the first pillar of brand is culture, who you are, the fundamentals of why you exist, your why. Second pillar would be your product or service, right, which is what you do, the essential product that you deliver to the world. Third would be your story, which is what you say, the narrative that shapes your internal culture, that drives your perception externally. Then the fourth would be your experience, how you feel, whether it's human touch points or digital touch points, that user experience. And then the fifth pillar is identity, how you look. And ironically, in brand, we often start there, right? We start with the pillar that's important, absolutely important, but we address it independent of culture or we address these pillars independent of one another. And we're all about aligning the five pillars. That is the, the first most critical part of what we do. Now, each of those pillars has all sorts of different things and approaches and strategies, including culture, which is why we wrote the book. But culture really gets into six layers of how we integrate culture into brand and brand into culture. Um, Sorry if that was not high level enough, but that's, oh, that uh, was perfect, right? And I think what's, what's really interesting about those five pillars, right? And maybe where some of the struggle comes in, is that they are they tend to be owned by different people. Yes. Right. Great and so, point. Right. I I think that would be that is somewhat difficult when you think about that. So, uh, right. 
one of the reasons I suspect an agency is nice coming in looking at it globally. But I mean, it's right down to whose budget does it sit in right. and who owns the process and controls it. And I imagine you guys have seen uh, several different scenarios there. Well, it's yeah, one of the layers in, in our book on culture, right? It's it's one of the layers is, 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 is structure or architecture, as we call it in the book. And that is essentially how do decisions get made? Are the right stakeholders in the right rooms making the right decisions to actually further your brand's values? Because if you say innovation, but nobody feels like they have permission to innovate or has the right meeting or process to innovate, then you actually don't have a value of innovation. Right. And it, and all your listeners probably feel this if uh, they're in charge of marketing, but not product. And then someone's in charge of product, but not marketing and trying to connect those, those dots is um, always, always a challenge. And so having, we call it alignment where, you know, you're starting with culture and everyone knows, you know, what your, the answers to the five questions of strategy are, what your, um, what the values are, what is most important, what's the driving thing behind the organization or the product. And, once that alignment happens, then everyone can start making decisions independently for each other versus against each other, which so often happens. Right, it's giving a, a people, a, a, you know, whether you call it a North Star or a guiding light or just mm -hmm. even a, a vision of like, this is who we want to be. How does your role, how does your activities feed into that? 100%. Uh, and, and that I think is, you know, so many companies, uh, I, I'm going to going to, you know, share more than I should at some, but the number of new employees, uh, when we first started at, that I was first at pragmatic would come be like, well, what's your mission and value? And it always like, oh, I'd roll my eyes. Like, it's not that they don't matter, but you know, like those are always like these giant conversations and yeah. it ends up being sort of buzzwordy and like, you know what they want, but what they're asking for is this, right? True north. right. Your true North. Tell me who we are. So I can help make sure we deliver that. And I think uh, it's so important as an organization to know it and to share it, uh, but also how we share it matters. And we talk in the book about, again, going back to the architecture, which is only one of six layers, but in architecture, how you supervise and manage has to revisit these questions. If you never talk about strategy, except for 18 months when you bring everybody into a room and do a strategic planning, and then you get a binder and you put it on the shelf and you never think about it again until you have a triage of strategy, then you do it's, it again. It's PowerPoint right? now, Ted. It's PowerPoint, not binders. It's sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm old. <laughs> it's not overhead transparencies anymore. We're, we've moved on. Might but well seriously, that, like right? I, I think I think too often we even find that the way supervision takes place either fuels brand and alignment and helps people understand their role in the big picture, or it's just manage supervision becomes managing the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever is on a plate in front of my face on fire is what we address. And then we wonder why we have people who are feeling more detached and behaving in ways that don't align with our brand because we failed to help them understand what it means. Southwest makes it very clear during on-ramping and hiring what it means to be an employee of Southwest. That's why you don't see a lot of introverts who hate talking on mic get hired by Southwest because there's something about brand values and brand promise integrating into hiring, supervision, management, and performance. It's a really good point. And I think it's something that uh, that, you know, um, it's it's a continuous push. I don't want to say push down because it's push down and push up, but right, you know, yeah. the yeah. the the leader can't just know the executive team, but you can't stop there. And it, and to your point, it's not once a year. Let's talk about budgets and our plan. Mm -hmm. It's how are we keeping everybody um, informed Incredible. about the strategy and updated about where we are against it. 
Um, and to your point, the name of your podcast, I mean, pragmatically speaking, there are easy but often missed ways to do that, right? We talk in the book about integrating culture through your physical space, through how you do meetings, through empowering employee um, engagement through games. And we talk about NASA and pumpkin carving. And I mean, the, again, it's it's not easy. It, it's, it's often hard, but what's the most difficult is just taking it seriously, is actually right. making culture and brand a priority and not just assuming, well, culture will take care of itself and brand will be the marketing agency and we're just going to, right? That That's where things go wrong. Yeah, it's it's we, we talk about the values, or um, I think McKinsey has research we use in the book uh, about how values are misunderstood or misinterpreted by employees. So we, we tend, we've kind of taken, you know, what your audience might be familiar with the design principles and, and say culture, your organization needs principles, not just values that dictate behavior um, that employees then know how to operate and execute to your point of what is that North star? Whether it's easy or hard, I'm not sure, but it has to be with intent. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that that's the place. And I also think that uh, particularly smaller companies that are growing, sometimes the culture or the tone is embodied in a person or a small group, right? If you're a founder and they have their personality and it's, it, it leads us, and not just a company, your teams can be that way. If you've got a strong leader and, the, and but, but the culture isn't, it can't be embodied in a person, right? It needs to be spread out throughout the organization. And I think Ted, those were some great hints as to just, you know, the kind of things you, you need to do on a regular basis to reinforce that culture. And that also means when someone doesn't fit in the culture, that's right. Well, and that's that's a whole other that could be a whole other book. Yeah. I mean, but I I think what the reason we wrote the book was not to have one more theoretical book on culture or on brand or on the intersection of them, but to actually say, listen, don't overthink it. Here are six we call them layers to integrate culture and brand that will create what we call in the book a marquee culture, marquee, like the big lit sign above theaters. Like if you get a marquee culture, your culture is screaming the brand better than any other piece. And even better, your culture isn't in danger of killing your brand, which we often see, right? Like we work with brands who had all of their shit to, oh, sorry if I can't say that, <laughs> all of their, edit that out and post, they had all of their stuff together in every pillar of brand except culture. And what was the knife that cut their throat? It was culture. It wasn't logo. It wasn't user experience. It may have even been, they may even, even had bad products. But what killed them was culture, right? So getting a murky culture drives performance, but it also prevents it from killing you, which unfortunately happens too often. So when you talk about some of those, those, so again, I, I think because it's owned by different people, all these people listening might be like, yeah, it's so true, but what could I possibly do about this? This is a big problem, Ted and Mark, and I am a product manager or, which is also a big role, but right. Like how do I, how do I make an impact here? What are, what are some tactical, practical Okay. Steps. I feel like I'm over talking, but you're asking all the questions that push my buttons. So I'm just going to quickly answer <laughs> this and then I'll let Mark give, you know, a smarter answer. I, I think the, the classic dilemma you're, you're highlighting is I'm, I don't feel like I have power. I might be in a culture that doesn't feel like it rewards truth telling or pushing or so what do I do? Like I, I'm hearing this. I think the best thing you can do, whether you're a new leader, a young leader, a middle manager leader, is ask great questions. I think the best way to build trust and to raise a flag is to do it through asking intelligent questions that demonstrate gaps or disconnects. 
versus coming in with your pissed off guns blazing about all these things. And that's how you lose influence. And that's how people stop taking you seriously. But if you ask great questions, you'll build influence. You have a greater chance of highlighting the disconnects. And what might happen that is sometimes frustrating, but is still great, is senior leaders will hear those questions, make them their own, and then say, I've been thinking we need to do this. And they got it from you, but they've personalized it, but at least you successfully steered the ship, right? Like, I think that's the starting place for me. Yeah, that's, I think that's uh, really good. I think the other practical um, way to look at it is the more that you can align your team's culture. So if you're part of a team or you're leading a team and you can align it to the brands, um, the culture, you can mimic the culture that the organization wants, uh, that will be rewarded. People will start seeing that and, and that will give you passport into other conversations and in other areas. Um, and so that's uh, one way. And I, I think, um, you know, to another way between teams is that all in relational trust. Uh, I don't really want to talk about that, but just the idea that um, you can't just go to another team and expect that you can speak and, and give them, you know, I'm really good at my job, so you should trust me. Here's the long list of things that you're horrible at that affect my job and I need you to fix them. That uh, doesn't usually work. Um, you also need relational trust in, in having a deep relationship with your coworkers um, so that they know that you're not out to stab them in the back is also super helpful. I think that's something the product managers listening to can really relate to, right? We have a lot of influence uh, and a lot of expectation that we lead and manage, not necessarily with the uh, the written authority, the badge that says, now you must listen. Uh, and if we go about it, you know, that way, like thou shalt do this, you know, it's, it's not a product dictator, as one of our instructors says, you've got to, you've got to use some of that trust and relationship uh, equity. Yeah. I mean, no matter how many times we, um, uh, create amazing branded swag or create amazing branded experiences for our team or do amazing branded offsite experience. Like these are all great. These are all great, but they do not replace um, how we behave and the architecture that we operate within and the way power and decision-making take place. Like, like if those things are broken, I don't care how amazing the swag or the experience or the branded hiring process things are going to break down. So I, I think I think there are some layers that matter more than others. You know, if you get structure, principles, things we talk about in the book right, those will do more than getting an amazing physical space brand and swag for your people. Like the layers aren't all created equal. Yeah. But you got to start someplace. Well, and so I think I think hopefully we have convinced everyone listening that culture is resides across the employee base and it needs to be understood by 100%. everyone. It needs to be envisioned. Maybe let's let's talk a little bit about how culture connects to the product itself, right? Uh, if everything is connected, can you talk a little bit about what you look for, what you what you ask companies to look for to make sure that their product is an extension of the culture? Oh, yeah, so that, yeah, so that goes back to um, the way we do design sprints and making sure that the those, all those things are rooted in culture. And this is where the misalignment happens. So um, if I don't understand uh, as an organization what it means to be uh, people-driven or have empathy for people or the users, as an example, um, or what we see is it, it becomes really difficult for those who are in charge of products to start making those 
decision. So we had one client, I won't say who it was, but, um, you know, it was really shocking. We were looking at focus group data about this new app that they rolled their internal IT team rolled out. And, um, the, I literally in the video, the IT team is like yelling back at the two-way mirror about users who are using the app wrong. Right. And the, the interesting thing is that the reason they felt like they could do that, they can act that way is that, um, the organization was so structured and rigid about these are, the, we have to meet these metrics more so than we have to meet, um, the people. And, and even though that people were, was one of their values, again, going back to Ted's comment about architecture, their expense report process wasn't people first designed, right? It was those who still use SharePoint, I apologize, but uh, they were using a lot of SharePoint for a lot of stuff. And it was really difficult to get people, you know, to get things done. And it created this culture of, I just have to get what I'm supposed to get done the way I'm supposed to get it done. And that turned into, well, we're going to design our products that way too, even though that wasn't their intention. And so there was a lot of bleed over into this um, culture or the culture bleeding into the product uh, unintentionally. And so, you know, practically speaking, you know, addressing those um, by making sure that the, the, the key stakeholders understand what alignment looks like, how that stuff impacts the way we're going to design a product is, is really important. Um, and then uh, when we, when we start applying um, maybe more of like, we have what we call divergent thinking process. Uh, which helps take people that are stuck like that and have helped them think differently. Uh, and that's a super practical, uh, at least the way we do it is super practical because I'm a practical person and I didn't know how to do it. So I just invented this way, uh, which is completely take random categories of different things. So if you're working on a product and you're like in this team, the, the IT team, um, was stuck with understanding how to solve some of these problems. And obviously they were aggressive towards their user base. So what uh, we suggested is like, okay, here's a bunch of different categories, like greeting cards, um, holidays, uh, animals, emotions, places. And when we were talking about like, okay, how do this, this thing in the app, uh, a better user experience, um, what's the problem we're trying to solve for? And then now solve it using those other categories. So write down the emotions, write down what it would look like in a greeting card, write down what it would look like if it was a place, write down all these things. And that helped break their mind from the entrenched SharePoint thinking, if I can use that term, um, and get them to refocus and be like, oh, it does need to be human, right? Um, especially because this was a financial institution like this is a really sensitive important part of my life if I'm the user and I, I may be going through a series of emotions right when you look at your bank account and you have more money than you thought you did that's a good feeling when you have less money than you thought you did that's a bad feeling right and so the app itself should express you know should be understand that human emotion right but the culture didn't allow they were just like, I got it. This is what regulation regulators say I have to do. So I'm going to do it. And who cares if it doesn't work? And we've experienced this with our own culture at Historic. I mean, we had a client um, that was a healthcare brand. And, you know, we, we quickly discovered healthcare is the most saturated brand um, 
market. I mean, there's no name that has not been taken. <laughs> you know, I mean, we even joked, well, the company was placeholding the word Nuco. So for the first few months of the engagement, it was Nuco, Nuco, Nuco. We're like, why don't we just call it Nuco? Nope. We found a Nuco. There is a Nuco <laughs> that existed in the healthcare, healthcare industry. <laughs> so we had to apply our own process, you know, to ourselves and come up with a name. And it developed an amazing uh, name for this healthcare um, information exchange called Contexture. That is two Southwestern companies coming together. But, um, but you know, it was an amazing process that yielded a great outcome. And it was, it was, it was the only way we got there was because we 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 went outside existing lines and thought outside the healthcare world and uh you know it's uh, something that uh, uh we talk a lot about in our design course right is is ideation and prompts that allow you to think beyond like and i think it's a really important thing for all you product managers particularly listening like we're you know type a get it done people what's the fastest path there but but you do need to to allow uh, some expansion and allow you to think outside the the box or the path you've already dug uh, to really find the optimal solutions. And I think that 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 those techniques they don't have to be long. It doesn't have to be like a twelve month no, process, yeah. right? So I mean, we we do them. Uh, you have two minutes, and so we time we use a time timer like everyone else in the world, and you have two minutes to write down as many things in this category mine sitting right here next to me yeah uh, nice product nice. oh should, i wish i had mine mine's bigger uh it's so it's true it's statement, conference true statement. Yeah. Uh, but it's um yeah it's just a it doesn't have to be like super complicated this is where like i think we also piss off a lot of creative people because our agency believes that talent is super important but process will beat talent uh every time when it's when it's a great creative process mm -hmm. because it can reproduce right where talent may be dependent on imagine personal imagination just happening at the right time in the right place um so those prompts are super important um they may childish or like just another thing to do but you don't have to spend a lot of time on them and it does help break uh your thinking and that's that's super important i think it is a nice balance that you guys talk about uh in your book and with your agency because i do think Again, you've got the get it done people that just focus on process. And then you've got some of my, my you know, the creative side or, or designers who would, they'll spend so much time in exploration. Um, and you're like, well, that's great. But like, we do actually have to deliver a product to mm -hmm. markets on time. Uh, and so finding ways to allow both the expansion of the thinking, the divergence as you guys talk about, but also a path forward so that we're not losing the sight of the deliverables and of who we are, I think is a really important balance. Yeah, and even for, if you have designers listening, like we've taken this process or this thinking and applied it to our design. So we'll even give designers prompts of how to draw iconography or images um, or logos or whatever, um, or UI stuff. And they just have, they're timed. They have to filter through all those prompts and, and um, we generally get a handful of designers to go through those prompts, you know, within a 30 minute period. And now we have, you know, a giant bucket of ideas to pull from, um, versus, you know, I'm going to go on the internet for seven hours and try to put together a mood board. That's just so perfect. That the <laughs> client's going to say yes, even though a client has no idea what a mood board is. Um, so yeah, that might be helpful for those who are listening. All right, so we talked about the the five pillars, 
right? Uh, we talked about building marquee brands a little bit. We talked about what that means in practice and some of those pieces. Um, what, you know, let's, let's talk a lot of different things. If you were going to have, and I want each of you to answer separately, uh, the uh, listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today and based on kind of, of your guys's belief on culture and brand and product and the combination, what would you have them do? I think the very, <laughs> the first place to start is by bringing the right people into the room and having an honest assessment of how your brand's performing according to the five pillars. It can be as simple as saying on a scale of one to 10, one being it's gonna kill us tomorrow and 10 being we should be doing books on this because we're so good at it. Rank each pillar in terms of just your your its, its performance, its contribution to our organization. And you start with culture and you say, how how is our culture really? Right. And if you want to get fancy, subdivide culture into um, clarity and health, because you can be really clear, but mm. not healthy. And you can be really healthy, which means we all love each other, but nobody knows why they're employed or what their job is. Right. So and then next pillar, what about our product What or products? What about so however you want to subdivide these pillars? Great. But Start with an honest assessment with the right people. And if you have the most power in the room, make it really clear to the room that they're able to speak honestly. Like build a bridge that says honest input is wanted, not just tolerated. And uh, and I, I would say start there. Because if you, if you aren't able to have an honest conversation and look clearly with the right people about what's working or not working, it's, it's, that's the first problem. Mark? All right. I have two. Sorry. Um, one is, uh, quantity over quality. Uh, so when it comes to design and ideation, I'm a big fan of making sure that you are using those prompts, that you do them really quickly and you get other people involved and that you come up with a high volume of ideas and then iterate on those versus like going down that rabbit hole of like, I just got to figure out what the perfect button is going to be. Um, like I just had a conversation with our designer 20 minutes ago about, his amazing buttons in Figma, which it's like, that's not going to sell the client. I'm sorry. It's great, but it's not going <laughs> to sell the client. Um, and then the other, I, I kind of mentioned about it. I don't think I addressed what they were, but uh, Marty Neumeyer um, is a great author, um, talks about the five questions of agile strategy and having these questions answered in a way that's compelling. Um, and those, those questions are, what is our purpose? Um, who do we serve? Those are 10 generally most of the time answered pretty clearly. Um, how will we compete? Which is the third question, which sometimes gets pretty muddy really quick. Uh, um, how will we win? And then how will we grow? So those last three, uh, how do we compete? How will we win? How will we grow? Um, you can quickly see when those are not answered correctly in product design, the product starts getting confusing, right? Uh, it, there's a convergence of competing priorities and what am I supposed to do? And like, you know, um, MailChimp just announced it's being acquired by Intuit slash TurboTax. So I like to call it the tax monkey. Um, and my fear, right, is like those last three questions, right? Is it is that clear to what's going to happen to the platform um, as people just start consolidating data services? But so for your product, product managers, you know, those last three are really, 
I think important to make sure it's the, all the key stakeholders understand what those answer what the answers to those three questions. Great, awesome. All right, Mark, Ted, this was fantastic. Uh, for our listeners out there, the book is Culture Built My Brand. Their company is Historic Agency, which one day uh, we're going to drink and you're going to tell me why you named it that. Uh, but we another really, podcast. yeah, another podcast. Now, if you guys want to know, you're going to have to tune in again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But thank you so much for, for joining me, Mark and Ted. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. This has been great, Rebecca. Great questions. Thank you. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help your company, your brand, and your career.